and welcome to a special episode of Stack Hunters on the Player Profiler Network. I'm Bradley Stalder, and joining me tonight, Best Ball Mania number one winner, Justin Herzig, Best Ball expert for Establish the Run. He's joined the Roto Underworld a few times already. Friend of friends of ourselves, Billy Muzio has had you on a few times to do some live drafts. But finally, you're on with me, Justin. We're in for a real treat tonight. Justin also dabbles with some NFTs. Justin, before we get into the fantasy football, you want to talk to us about what else you do outside of the best ball streets? Yeah. So I, my life is all loving fantasy sports and everything. And I come from like the more consulting banking background and such. The past couple of years have been head on all in the kind of sports analytics, fantasy sports space. And so my day job right now is helping to run Own the Moment, which does innovative fantasy sports aspect. We'll do, we've got a new best ball game that takes less than three minutes to play. We've got a new digital trading card that combines fantasy football aspect that's coming back this year. It's always just like finding new ways to bring the joy of fantasy sports into our lives and some fresh, innovative ideas. Yeah, make sure you guys are following Justin on Twitter at Justin Herzig. Puts out some good content. Make sure that you guys are following him there. Also, the occasional article at Establish the Run as well, putting out some best ball tips. And tonight we're going to get into some stack talk because we're stack hunters but at the same time the previous episodes i've had leone on in the first episode that was a lot of fun diving into his best ball manifesto last week i had the stat masters on we talked about best ball points added as one way to look at players but tonight we're going to look at some early player stacks but also some teammate stacks as well and i'll pick justin's brain on players and teams that he prefers and maybe some ways in which we can attack these stacks or or hunt these stacks so before we get into that stack hunting there's been some shifts in the best ball streets over the last week or so we've seen sky more jump up the most of all players up nearly 7% from the previous week. He's now into the top 100 on underdog. He's gotten a lot of positive buzz, especially with Kadarius Tony missing some time. And he's going to be operating out of the slot. And the Chiefs lost two of their top slot receivers from last year, Michael Hardman and Juju Smith-Schuster to free agency. Justin, is Sky Moore, is year two going to be the breakout for him? Or is it someone that you're just cycling through in your drafts yeah so for me i'd say if i go into last year i'm looking at the kansas city offense and juju smith schuster was one of my top targets because i was thinking like okay tyreek on like this is the opportunity for someone to really shine i want someone that's attached to patrick mahomes and i thought juju was the best play there what we saw with that offense is that it can be a very efficient top what three offense in the league and they don't need a stud wide receiver like it still go through kelsey still go through the running back still be spread out enough so for me this year, I haven't been really trying to chase, hey, who that one standout wide receiver is going to be, the Kadarius Tony, the Sky Moore, he's moved out the Rasheed Rice. I'll dabble in, especially in my MVS, just from a value standpoint. But I think going into this year, we need to recheck that idea of, hey, does there need to be a stud wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes for that offense to do well? And last year proved to us it didn't. So is he a bad pick right now? No, I don't think so. But I'm investing, I'd say I'm putting more capital and other wide receivers and trying to get earlier wide receivers that I think have similar upside profiles, but maybe higher floors. He goes in the spot in the drafts where I'm usually targeting running backs or wide running backs or QBs. 
I agree. Those it feels like the running back sweet spot for a lot of a lot of players in the underdog streets. I will be drafting a lot more once we get into Connecticut and and the Ohio borders. But in Michigan, unfortunately, we need to talk to some lawmakers there and make it happen. But you mentioned some Kansas City values. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is going super late in some drafts. Rashi Rice, I've seen fall in some places, 10, 12 spots. For me, the Kansas City Chiefs wide receivers is just whoever is going to befall to me and whoever is going to be pretty cheap. I'll take some Justin Ross. I'll take some MVS. I'll take whoever. I'm just, I don't have as strong of a feel. And I think that that's driven from what we experienced last year. Tyreek Hill left the offense. He was, and he put up career numbers in Miami. So I, they didn't miss a beat. The chiefs didn't miss a beat with those other receivers in tow. And, and maybe sky Moore does break out, but I agree with you. There's, it could be one of seven wide receivers. Maybe it's Richie James for all we know. Or yeah, it could be that, or it could be none as well, just like it was last year. And right. so that's where, if I knew it was going to be one, I'd be throwing enough dark bullets out there that, Hey, I want to try to hit. I'm just not confident that they even need an elite wide receiver or like a stand up wide receiver. I also think in general, the ADBs are being pulled up by, hey, we're stack hunting. A lot of people who draft Mahomes, they're like, I need to get these late ones. If I maybe didn't get Mahomes and Kelsey, or I still want to, if I'm having Mahomes, grab one of the pass catchers. So even though, hey, it might seem like, oh, this is six, pa- six picks past ADP, it's a value. When in reality, if you look from a projection standpoint and kind of those range of outcomes, maybe it's not actually a value. And the only reason that ADP is where it is, is because people want to draft him with the Kansas City or maybe even the Cincinnati Week 17 correlation. Yeah, that uh, week 17 is quite tantalizing. The The Bengals and the Chiefs could be massive shootout, but we also could be disappointed. You know what that, it, it, we're talking December 31st, the weather could be bad. A lot of things can go haywire by that point, but it's still a, a game that we are targeting for sure. The next biggest riser, DeAndre Hopkins jumps into number two, up nearly 7% from the last week. He's now into the mid fourth round. Uh, he signed with the Titans I think this is more of a bad news for Chickaconquo, bad news for maybe other later Tennessee options, but good news for Ryan Tannehill. I don't know if this really moves the needle for me for DeAndre Hopkins. Are you of the same opinion, Justin? I have the question, if he's moved up 6.7% since that signing, what were people not doing drafting him earlier? Because did you think there was going to be a worse situation? I think New England and Tennessee were like expected to be like maybe the worst ones. Then you had the upside aspects of Buffalo, Kansas City or somewhere else. I've been on Hopkins all offseason. I think where he's going is a great spot to be drafting wide receivers. I actually like him a little more than the Mike Williams, Christian Kirk, Terry McLaurin, Christian Watson, Drake London area. And so I was drafting him before. I'm still drafting him because I still think like he's going to be a PPR monster in that offense. I think it's going to be a bit higher passing rate over expectation now that you've got Tannehill having some legitimate weapons. So I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm on the Hopkins train and uh, but I've also been on it since I was getting him in the late forties. It just never made sense why he was falling so much. Look what happened. Yeah, that four or five turn was so delicious, getting the getting the Hopkins and shoring up. Even if he was your third wide receiver, you could set it up that way and and be all set. You could have one of the elite tight ends or one of the elite quarterbacks, plus Hopkins as your wide receiver three. I agree. Um, continue to buy Hopkins. Is there a – where is the threshold for you? You mentioned the, the Watson, the McLaurin. Like, 
up until he'll continue to rise up until what inflection point are you saying? No, like I'm all set with DeAndre Hopkins. Like I'm, I'm okay with my exposure at this point. Yeah. From a pure wide receiver angle, it's probably uh, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf right before that. I think Amari Cooper is actually right there, but I think I actually like Hopkins a little more, but it's an ADP thing. And then I'm not taking him above. Okay. The Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, and then running backs, it's probably right at around ETN, where I'll take ETN before Hopkins. But right after that is you really get, it's not a definitely not a dead zone of wide receivers, but it's a very flat land of wide receivers going from around like the, hey, if you include Hopkins there, you include Hopkins there. But that Christian Watson, Drake London, those talent with low volume, Watson and London, the Mike Williams, Christian Kirk, big talent, big offense, but lots of mouths to feed, like, all that area is washy. I've got Hopkins a tiny bit ahead of that tier. So probably 30, 32, 34 around that spot would be the, the right benchmark. Yeah, I'd say 34, 35, I think it is. Because okay. also now we've got like what, Brees Jacobs, Brees Jacobs, Brees Jacobs, Brees Hall and Josh Jacobs. You can just combine the two now yeah. that are both falling into that area where if I'm going to get those in the late third, early fourth, I'm taking those from an upside play before the Hopkins. But yeah, I think you're right. 34, 35 probably is about right. Speaking of Jacobs, his teammate Zamir White is one of the other risers here, up 6.5%, more than a full round. This is obviously a reaction to the Jacobs news that he's flown out of Vegas. And and we've seen like the Josh Jacobs ADP plummet. I remember us at the Expo last year uh, in the best ball draft in that room, and Jacobs just continued to fall. What was it, round eight, I think? He continued to fall. Uh, we joked in the room about it too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was wild. Is this how much are you buying Josh Jacobs holding out possibility? Given the Saquon Barkley just immediate turn this morning, you turn on your Twitter feed and hey, Barkley just renegotiated and he's all set for this year. Are you just anticipating that one day we're going to wake up and Jacobs is going to be all fine and then we're we're set, or or are you having a different perspective on him? Yeah, so I've been going into the two situations a little differently. The Giants made multiple efforts to try to come to an agreement on a deal with Saquon, and Saquon just didn't accept it. But it sounded like they wanted something to work. And Saquon, it's always, hey, was never saying, even when his language, I have these options, I could do this, but it was never as strong. as. It seems like Jacobs is actually acting out of emotion or out of more than just a, hey, purely business relationship. And then he's making these moves of leaving Vegas, making it public, saying, I ain't coming back anytime soon. So I do think he's got a little more oomph behind this one. So it concerns me a little. That said, I'm still going to be buying at the late third, definitely early fourth, because I think if we knew he was playing week one, he should be a late second round. So I think just an upside is worth it there. From a Zamir White standpoint, because you referenced him as well, I'm off of Zamir White because if there was some situation where Jacobs was not going to play for the whole year, the team knew it was very clear. Zamir White is not, highly, highly unlikely to actually be the workhorse back there, especially when you have these dusty vets that are all available that they could sign off the street. If anything, if you think that Josh Jacobs is going to hold out for the year, instead of buying Zamir White, I'd be more likely to go buy the Leonard Fournette, the Kareem Hunt, the Zeke, or the, I guess we can go into Dalvin and... Uh, Maybe I referenced them all. Maybe not. I think those are the ones. Yeah, our Latavius Murray's and Melvin Gordon's are off the, off yeah. the free agent board. Uh, but yeah, okay, we're we're out on Zamir White. He could have done something last year 
And no, the, the coaching staff said, no, we'll give 300 something touches to Josh Jacobs and, and you're good, Zamir. You can just ride the bench. The last player we touched on already was Ryan Tannehill, obviously with DeAndre Hopkins signing. We think that this offense is going to be better. It was ridiculous that Tannehill was being undrafted in 90% of drafts and best mall mania. I, I, I don't know how you're reacting to this, but I, at this point, like, I was still in on Tannehill before the the DeAndre Hopkins signing. I feel like I'm even more in, but the market, maybe there's some Will Levis there, but we also had some hype on Malik Willis last year, and that was a complete dud. So maybe we just continue the Ryan Tannehill confidence. Yeah, so for me with Tannehill, I wasn't drafting too much of him early on because I do think there was a decent amount of risk that he wouldn't be playing in the playoffs. And my hope was that we would get a little more information of, hey, Tannehill's the clear starter. This is a war. This is an actual camp battle. Because if we got more confidence in Tannehill, I still didn't expect him to move up above, what, the 17th, 16th round. So for me, it wasn't like a risk-reward profile of, hey, it's worth drafting him in the 18th because he may move up to the 14th or something. Then this happens. Now I have more confidence that Tannehill will be there. And I'm actually drafting him a decent amount because I'm on Hopkins. I like Traylon Burks as well. Makes sense that I'm then going to grab this late Tannehill. Now, there's still some risk there that they start off the year pretty poorly. They are out of contention later on. Yes, they could go to Levis, but in my mind, this team, it's not so much that what has actually happened, or it's not so much the likelihood of Tannehill playing that many in the entire season has changed, but the information we have about what the Titans team wants to do has changed. And that's what needs to go into our new, new, our new opinions. And because they made that trade, it makes it clear that they believe this is a contender. They want to be in win-now mode. And so they're, I think they're going to have Tannehill up until they are eliminated from the playoffs. At that point, then it is a risk. Now, when you look at the division, they should be in contention for most of the year. They were a pretty solid team, all things considered. And now that they can actually, you know, it's a pretty weak division. They were a pretty solid team comparatively. But now that they actually have, okay, two legitimate pass catchers, I'm hoping that, okay, this offense is actually pretty decent. Yeah, you mentioned the te- the team telegraphing their desires and the new information. The Tennessee Titans believe they're a contender by this move. I think that was a significant indicator of our confidence in Tannehill and the whole offense moving forward. We'll talk about Traylon Burks, but before we do, we have a message from matt kelly about our draft kit hey it's the podfather of great news the 2023 draft kit is live it is world famous why because it is the best resource for winning fantasy football championships that exists there are rankings and cheat sheets for every format you can imagine We have projections both at the team level and the player level. And wherever you are, you can click on a player, open them up, and see in-depth written analysis about what to expect in fantasy football from that player this year. And then you can click on the team, and you can get even more in-depth analysis, all the drivers of fantasy production, both in a positive and negative direction for that team, including a signature trend. And the graphics are incredible. So these team insights, they give you the team level projections, the vacated targets, the vacated areas, and that one dynamic for each team that you need to know when making decisions on draft day. And we added a bunch of features, individual cheat sheets for Theo and Billy and Dario. So you could take your favorite analyst and download their personal draft cheat sheet 
And then in the commissioner's section, also brand new this year, Memphis Young lays out everything you need to know to manage a league, do's, don'ts, tips, and what the more innovative fantasy commissioners are doing this year. That's presented by Trophy Smack. The whole package is presented by the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the FFPC, Ray Garvin, Derek Brown, the best minds in the industry contributing analysis. It's certainly not the most inexpensive draft kit on the market, but it is the best. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Go get it. That's right. Go get your draft kit today. All right, Justin, let's talk about DeAndre Hopkins' teammate, Traylon Burks. He dropped nearly 17% of his previous ADP, nearly a full round to the mid-seventh round. Obviously, that's we see the seismic impact. We thought before the DeAndre Hopkins signing, oh, Burks is the best wide receiver on this team by far. I, we don't know who's going to be the number two, but there was a lot of hype for Chigakonko to be the second receiver here. Is this amount of falling warranted for Traylon Burks? And can we still be buying into Burks even with the, the free fall? Yeah, so I think it's definitely lowered his upside scenario of him having that percent target share across the year. But I actually don't think this is a horrible situation for him because when he goes back to what we were talking about earlier, we now have increased confidence that they're going to be keeping Tannehill playing as much as possible. And before the kind of floor for Traylon Burks is if they brought in a Will Levis or Malik Willis, like that could just be stone cold disaster. So yes, we lose some upside, but I think we increase the floor. I'm okay with, hey, if he drip, if he would have dropped a couple slots here and there, if he's dropped that much, like that doesn't feel right to me. You got to start thinking like, okay, who are the wide receivers behind him? that you're going to start taking above him. Like Quentin Johnston, there's questions there. Brandon Cooks, there's questions. I still like all those wide receivers because that's the end of the kind of where I want to be drafting wide receivers in that seventh, eighth round. But I still have Traylon Burks ahead of them. I also have Traylon Burks ahead of him, ahead of those players that you mentioned, the Cooks and especially the Quentin Johnsons. I don't know if you've caught the brand rumbling from player profile lately, but uh, Brashad Perriman, Quentin Johnson comps have been free-flowing from from the player profiler network. I don't know if I would go that far, but we'll continue onward. We got some clarity about one of the biggest fallers here just today. Saquon Barkley over the last week had dropped nearly 11% in his ADP down to 21st overall. Now it's irrelevant is Saquon. I've, I've seen a lot of reactions on Twitter where, Oh, he should be a, a first round pick now. Oh, he should jump back up to the one, two turn. I don't know if that, amount of optimism is the appropriate pendulum swing. Maybe it is. What are your thoughts on Saquon Barkley now being secured for one more year with New York Giants? Yeah, he probably moves to RB4 for me. I'd have him above Chubb behind Bijan. And then it's a question of how do you rank him according to other wide receivers in that area? And that's some personal preference aspect because you're looking at, okay, Waddle, Garrett Wilson, and then I think that's like the bottom. So maybe so Barkley's like right there, whether you want a running back wide receiver. I do think I still have him behind like the CeeDee Lamb, Devante, and, and Amon Ra. But yeah, and I think this might be a hot take, but I'd rather have Saquon than Chubb. Then I think the upside scenario for Saquon is substantially higher than Nick Chubb. And like just, if, especially if you're playing PPR, even half PPR, Saquon's still starting off with a 30 plus point lead over Nick Chubb just from a catch and pass catcher standpoint. 
Yeah, Death Taxes and Saquon Barkley gets a 10% plus target share pretty much every game. There were some games where he was getting in the 20% target shares last year. So it, it's not like the New York Giants brought out brought out or signed some massive alphas. It's certainly Darren Waller, we expect to be one of the big pass catching options here. But Saquon still will get his out of the backfield. Josh Jacobs, we've hit on him already. He's down 7.4% to the mid-third round. If we found out today, you mentioned that he would be a back, in, back end of the second round. I don't know. There's, Are you drafting him right now? Or are you just saying, we'll, we'll find out more information if I want my shares, I'll draft him maybe at the end of August? Yeah, so I'm saying like I'm definitely not reaching for him at ADP. I'm probably like... I've taken Mark Andrews ahead of him over the past couple of days, but I still want to be drafting him. I think it just, there's not a clear sign for me that this is going to be resolved in the next couple of weeks. So I'm expecting him to continue to fall. I don't think he ever falls outside of like where all those wide receivers that we just talked about starting. So I think like it's definitely reasonable that he falls at that two, three turn. And I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep drafting him. I'm expecting him to play even if he does just ceremoniously sit out the first game, first two games or something, it's still not hurting you that much. And to be honest, I think he's just upset that they made him play in the preseason game last year. He's getting them back. Just he's doing it for all of us. Yeah, that was the surprise of, I don't know, the entire year when Josh Jacobs played more than one series in the in the Hall of Fame game. That was wild. And then we came back the next week at the Expo and we're like freaking out. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to take him in like the eighth round of of our best balls. It ends up being like a league winner. Nevertheless, we'll finish off the biggest fallers with Chigakonkwo. All similar situations. DeAndre Hopkins aside, were you buying Chig Okonkwo before the signing or is he, was he a dead zone? If there is such a thing, a dead zone tight end that put up some nice numbers, but we just couldn't trust. Yeah. So I was not drafting him before main reasons were one. It's not like I was stacking him with a QB, so I'm not trying to target him Two, he was really not playing more than like 50% of snaps. And I don't believe there's like a clear, desire for him to get that increase i honestly think there was a lot more wish casting around the industry no question like on his per route basis he was looking his numbers are fantastic but i just didn't expect him to elevate that volume and josh norris got me onto that one and then the third was yeah from a tight end standpoint i'm just not drafting that many tight ends in that area because i think it's really flat once you get to like from dalton schultz all the way to the end of tight ends if you look at a projection standpoint, like there's really not that much different than your 18th rounders and those 11th. So I'm looking for, hey, upside, I'm looking for stack partners, and I'm looking not to expand like a, a substantial amount of capital. And Shig, unfortunately, didn't fit into most of those. Yeah, I comped him to Anthony Ferkser, unfortunately. <laughs> the We've been fooled time and again about these high efficiency tight ends out of Tennessee who have just not produced year in, year out. John U. Smith had the one decent year, but then moved on and, and hadn't really flashed el- elsewhere. And the Chigakonkwo down to round 12, that really doesn't move, make me want to draft him anymore either. You mentioned there's not stacking. Okonkwo only played 50% of snaps in, what, two or three games last year, and he couldn't really push out dusty Austin Hooper. There were reasons to be uh, reasons for us to be out on Chig. That seems to be an anti-player profiler take, but here, here we are just an anti-Chig Conquo. 
But that wraps up our risers and fallers. We're going to get into some actual content, some stack hunting. Finally, the good stuff here, Justin. And we're going to talk about the importance of player takes as we're stacking because we've talked about a lot of different components. There, there's stacking. There are week 17 correlations we've mentioned. There's the bring back component that exists in our week 17, especially in best ball mania, where that's for all the marbles. That is the, where we're playing for the winning it all. How do your player takes, which I think are the most important thing. You need to get the player takes, right? How do your player takes and opinions on a player's range of outcome affect your willingness to stack those players? Yeah, so I put out an article probably early June. I think it was called like On the Clock and it includes the best ball pyramid. And this is what I used because people are always asking like, how do you rank ADP versus your player takes versus roster construction versus week 17 correlation? And then this article really tried to outline like, hey, here are the baselines. Here's what's most important going through. And player takes and ADP were right on top of each other from back and forth. And I think a lot of it comes down to, first off, like from a player takes standpoint, yes, as you said, obviously, the from a results-oriented focus, player takes are the most important thing in best ball. If you would have drafted all Josh Jacobs last year, if you would have drafted like all the guys that Hunter Renfro two years ago, you would have absolutely smashed. The challenge is these are also the least predictive. They're hardest to actually beat the market on. If you have player takes, usually you may have them on a couple guys. And you know what? If you have it, go with your gut, and that's awesome. Don't try to extrapolate that to every single player. Only do it for where you feel confident you feel you have that edge. If you don't have any gut feeling on player takes, use a site that has great rankings, and you're probably going to be just good enough. And honestly, ADP is actually not that much different the way that kind of rankings are going from an efficiency standpoint. So for me, it comes down to is, what between those two, I'm not trying to get over 25% exposure on any player. I'm not trying to let my takes influence crazily too much. I'm more willing to fade a player to zero than be way, way over someone. But overall, and I talk about through those player takes, ADP, roster construction, correlation, stacks, all of that, they all have a level of importance. You've got to find what is that right balance for your draft style for your teams. But yeah, hey, we're on Stack Hunters and no question, stacks are extremely important. Yeah, stacks. Okay, so you're on the clock. Let's say this was actually something that I came, I was confronted with last night. I was in the pros versus Joes and it was, I don't know, 15th, 16th round or whatever round it was. And I had a question of whether I wanted to go with the player that I thought was significantly better or I was going to stack Alec Pierce with Anthony Richardson, who I had who I had selected. And at that point, I, I went with the player I believed was better. And especially because it was like an enclosed league. Are those the types of things that you are weighing? Like you're playing a, a larger tournament versus a, a maybe it's a 50-50 or maybe it's a smaller tournament or closer closed league. Are those things you're weighing more heavily or is as stacking still as heavily weighted in a, in a smaller tournament, like pros so, versus so Joe's. Who, who was the player? I I'm trying to, let me, let me see if I can pull it up. Okay. But while, while you're thinking, looking at that, yeah, yeah. While you're looking at that, I'll give him high level stance. This is a 12 person league. I believe that does not have any tournament structure. It's mainly just a, Hey, win your league. And that's your best case scenario, right? Yes. In that scenario, stacks can help you because, Hey, you want to draft like you're right. And if you're Anthony Richardson has a good year, then Alec Pierce is probably going to be pretty decent as well. Mm. But the upside, 
at beating 11 people is nothing like the upside of beating a million people, 500,000 people right. and what you get with that. And even if you bake it down to just that week 17, 441 teams in the best ball mania, 1100 or so, actually might even be more in the DraftKings millionaire, like yeah, stacking is that much more important than that structure. So that's where I'd say 100% you want to make sure that your strategy is really uh, customized to the league, to the tournament, to the game that you're playing. Uh, the other thing with someone like Alex Pierce is if you're drafting that in a redraft style league where there's waivers and start sits, how often are you actually going to start him? Versus like in best ball, you're going for the spike weeks. And when you have Anthony Richardson and Anthony Richardson for this team to be successful, he's got to at least be competent at passing. Yeah, then I'm going to. Another thing I think from a best ball with regards to stacking is if I'm drafting Anthony Richardson, I believe that he has a level of competence for his pass catchers. The thing is with Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, Josh Downs, uh, we're currently drafting them as if their QB is incompetent because that's what you have to do from a projection standpoint. But if you tell me, that no, Anthony Richardson actually has a decent passing year and he is competent, then those ADPs should all move up. Pittman should probably move up around. Pierce should probably move up two rounds or so. And that's the new assessment you need to use is it's no longer comparing Alec Pierce to, did you figure out who it was? Yes, Curtis Samuel. Okay, Curtis Samuel. it's no longer comparing Alec Pierce to Curtis Samuel one-to-one, but it's, oh no, now I'm comparing Alec Pierce, but actually maybe two rounds above where I value him against Curtis Samuel because you're baking in that, Hey, new expectation, new knowledge that you've gained that Anthony right. Richardson has done well. Fair enough. Fair enough. I That's one that is still sitting with me as, mm, should I have gone that way? I still do the player of Curtis Samuel and the upside, the just the, pro, the profile, the pedigree, all of that over yeah, wide receiver 74. It's significantly good chance that he outperforms that, whereas I wasn't I wasn't sure whether Alec Pierce is any good or has shown any upside in the past. That's one that, that I'm still tilting, tilting on, but nevertheless, <laughs> we'll keep her moving here with the stack hunters. We're going to look in particular in round one. So round one sets the tone for our drafts. If we're drafting Jefferson, it is now on our radar to be stacking with Kirk Cousins and Chase with Burrow and Hill with Tua. Are you concerned at all with how often other people are stacking these first-round pass catchers? Because Kelsey is included here. Maybe we can include Christian McCaffrey. I didn't pull up his data immediately. But how concerned are you of the rates at which these pass catchers are being stacked in the first round? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too concerned because I do think that the value still is of having the stack is greater than the maybe lack of uniqueness aspect when you get to those playoffs. Yeah, so like you have that Jefferson and Cousins is stacked less than 40% of the time. Okay, but let's say Jefferson's advance rate is, I don't know, maybe 10%. All right, well, let's use 20%, a little above average or something. So out of those 440 teams, you're looking at 80 of them that have Jefferson now, how many have the cousin stack? We're saying 40%. So now you're looking at 32 or something. Now you're still 32 teams. We've narrowed that down a lot from the initial hundreds of thousands of teams that we've started with. Right. And of that, I'd still rather have the stack than not. Now, what this tells me is most likely that second, third peripheral stacks are not as high. And so maybe that's when you do want to start looking at it because a lot of the things with these stacks and the ADP that it's coming, the ADP that's formed is based off where those initial stack partners are. 
And right. for almost the entire summer, Kirk Cousins has gone at that. Ah, I might be getting the wrong, wrong, the round wrong, but I think it's the nine ten turn. And so it it's makes about sense there, that one oh six. Okay, Jefferson goes one overall. That person who has Jefferson knows that if I'm going to get Cousins, I've got to take him at the nine ten turn. You also have Hawkinson, whose ADP is like forty nine. That's also right in that first or second draft picks. Either the first person grabbed Hawkinson or the second or third might have drafted, grabbed him. And now they might want Cousins. Addison is hanging out on his own. He doesn't fit in a, a line to where those first, second, third picks are. So if you can get the Cousins-Addison one, maybe that's a bit more unique. I guess what I'm getting at is I still heavily value stacks. I'm not being scared away because some stacks are overowned, but I am leaning more into how can I maybe get some more unique stacks. Yeah, then unique stacks are are ones that uh, I've looked at in some other articles. A, a few players are being relatively understacked. I would love your take on Jalen Hurts and then Devonta Smith. They're only being stacked 17% of the time. That is the lowest among all pass catchers in the first four rounds. Is that one that we could be targeting a little bit more just to be unique. And I don't think the market's going to be reacting like, oh, they're being understacked. We need to therefore like regress to the mean of the rest of the pass catchers. Is that someone that you're looking to create some unique stacks with, for instance? Yeah, I think it's a hard stack to get, to be honest, because you're pretty much drafting Devonta Smith at ADP of 21 right now which means you then need Jalen Hurts to fall to you at pick around 28. And the challenge is that Jalen Hurts is a QB that's popular to be drafted naked because he has that rushing upside. You don't need the stack partner. Also, if you draft him in those picks one to three, Dallas Goddard, I think his ADP is like 74 or something. It also comes around to that area. So you can draft Jalen Hurts and then grab Goddard and still get a stack. Yes. And, and then it's also a question. So look, me personally, I like Tony Pollard, I like Derrick Henry. I like Saquon Barkley better than Devonta Smith. So for me personally, I'm more often grabbing that running back in that spot rather than let me grab Devonta and hope Jalen falls. The times that I have gotten Devonta and Jalen as a stack is when it's from the first or second pick and I get Devonta Smith to fall to pick 23, 24. And then I know I can go, okay, if it's 24, I can go 25 and get Jalen Hurts immediately. If it's 23, I'll grab Devonta and I hope that pick one doesn't take Jalen Hurts. But I'm less likely to be like, okay, let me grab Devonta early. Because the earlier you grab him, the less chance that Hurts falls back to you. Yeah, and we've seen those wide receivers get bumped up a little bit with the holdouts that we've experienced, the Saquon and the Josh Jacobs. Those have moved up, the T. Higgins, the, the Chris Olaves of the world, and of course our Devonta Smith. The lowest stacked pass catcher in the first round is AJ Brown. So still in the Philadelphia. And do you primarily attribute that to the willingness of drafters to take Hertz naked? Or is it that it's just that by the time you're drafting AJ Brown, let's say 109, 110, 111, 112, etc., Hertz is not going he's probably not going to be the the 202, 203, 204, and he's probably not going to come back around. What what are your thoughts on yeah. the AJ uh -huh. Brown Hertz stack? If you draft A.J. Brown at pick nine, which is where his ADP is, I would guess you have about a 2 to 3% chance of A.J. Brown falling back to you in the third round. Those reasons are, one, is Devonta Smith is going to be going after you, so it's a decent chance that the person who grabbed Devonta would grab Jalen Hurts. But even then, we have all these people that are like, oh, I'm drafting a, 
a solo, a naked Jalen Hurts and content with it. And also, if you're pick nine, we're talking what? That's pick 31, I think, that's coming back to you. Pick 31 is when we're starting to get into that next tier of wide receivers. And so very rarely do the elite QBs even last that long because people are like, now nah, this is the place where I'd rather take an elite QB, even if it's unstacked, than trying to drop into the DK Metcalf, Amari Cooper, Debo wide receiver range. We'll stay on the Jalen Hurts question, line of questioning. How often are you willing to draft your elite quarterbacks naked or are there other later quarterbacks you're willing to draft naked what is your what is your opinion of leaving those quarterbacks unstacked yeah on underdog i care a ton about stacks just because there's such high correlation between the touchdown aspect on DraftKings, i'm more willing to say hey go with an unstacked qb if you're getting the right adp value just because you know there's not much necessary uh correlation but for me on underdog, I am willing to go unstacked if it's someone who I think like I can envision week 17, they have a huge week and you don't need one of the pass catchers to go off with them, which almost you know 99% of the time just means that it's someone who can get it done on the ground. So Jalen Hurts, I'm definitely fine with. Um, Anthony Richardson might be the only other that I'm like content with. Daniel Jones, but also like Daniel Jones, it's so cheap to grab one of his late ones that you may as well. For me personally, I always, I'm always trying to stack, even like with Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen and Anthony are probably the only two that if I end a draft with them having no counterparts, no pass catches with them, I'm okay with it. Just about everyone else, I, I screwed up something if I'm drafting them completely unstacked. That is fair. On underdog, we've noticed that a lot of the wide receivers get steamed up. How are you handling that that phenomenon in stacking with your quarterbacks compared to maybe other sites you mentioned DK or or maybe drafting on FFPC. I Theo and I were able to Theo Greminger and I were able to get Jalen Hurts at 309 in in, in the FFPC Best Ball Streets a couple months or a month ago. So how are you handling the wide receivers being steamed up and uh, how that works with your quarterback stacks yeah about pc you should see quarterbacks fall a little just because the tight end premium aspect so you're getting andrews you're getting kelsey maybe even hawkinson moving up in that area and then still ppr as well so you're getting the wide receivers so it doesn't surprise me as much there in general i'm usually not trying to reach on quarterbacks if i'm invested into a double stack for that player then i'm more willing to reach as the draft goes on as well and the rounds are not as valuable meaning a Reaching six picks in the third round is a lot worse than reaching a round in the 13th or something. So as we go further, I'm more willing to reach to get my stack in place. But uh, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. In the round one, we've got, what is it? Eight or nine pass catchers that are typically taken. We've But a wide range of where quarterbacks are going. We talked about Cousins already going past pick 100, but Burrow's at, in the 40s, two is in the 90s. Stafford's getting drafted outside the 150s. Are, how, are the ADPs of the quarterbacks something that you're considering when let's say you're at the 103 and it's Hill cup, Kelsey, maybe you're considering digs, probably not, but maybe are the quarterbacks ADPs what you're considering as well with those middle of the first round picks. 
I would not say that the ADP of the QBs are influencing who I'm taking in the middle of the first round, but when I do take those players, it influences how I draft the rest of the draft. One example is let's use Cooper Cup. So usually he's going around pick five or so. In the third round, you have the opportunity a decent amount of times to get like a Josh Allen that's false because you haven't hit the Stephon Diggs owner drafter yet. And you got to make that decision. Early on, I was like, okay, I'm taking Josh Allen. But the more that I've thought about it, the more I've done it is I really shouldn't be drafting a high, high capital QB here because I plan to be drafting Matthew Stafford. And right now with Cooper Cup, for Cooper Cup to pay off value at that fifth overall pick, he needs to have a fantastic year. Maybe not wide receiver one, but definitely like a top three, top five wide receiver. For him to hit that, Matthew Stafford has to be healthy. And so right now we are baking into Matthew Stafford's projection and where his ADP is that there is some actual risk with him and his health. But once we're making that assumption that, hey, Cooper Cup is having this great year, now Matthew Stafford is healthy, where Matthew Stafford is going is actually probably about a two or plus two plus round value of where he should be going, knowing that he's healthy and he's going to have a good year. Once I have that knowledge that, okay, Matthew Stafford should be my QB, I'm going to draft him in the, I don't know, he should be a 12th rounder. I'm still going to get him in the 14th or whatever. I'm then also thinking about, you know what, tight end. Tyler Higby is an interesting area where Tyler Higby and Matthew Stafford have about a seven pick ADP difference. And if you don't take Tyler Higby as he comes around to you, it might be the 13th, might be the 14th round. If you don't take Tyler Higby, usually what happens is one of the first four slots ends up taking Tyler Higby because it comes at ADP value. And they try to stack him with Matthew Stafford because Matthew Stafford's right there as well. So now you actually start playing a little defense by playing offense by saying, okay, I have Cooper Cup. I'm going to take Tyler Higby, and I think it's this 14th round, knowing that I can then get, I think it's the 14th, it's right around there, knowing that, okay, now the only one you're competing against if someone drafted Van Jefferson that wants the Matthew Stafford stack. But Van Jefferson's ADP is actually a little above Tyler Higby, and he usually goes in one of the 6 to 12 slots over here. So you can watch and see once Van Jefferson goes, you can grab Tyler Higby, and most likely you're then going to be able to get that Matthew Stafford as well. You're now getting an entire stack here at a bit of a value once you make the assumption that Matthew Stafford is actually healthy for this year. Yeah, the the teammate correlations, the assumptions, and the double tapping, especially around the turn, can influence our ADPs. You've already mentioned that for a few of the players, the the Jeffersons, the Cousins, and the TJ Hawkinsons, but also he isn't on this list, but we've seen Justin Fields fall a little bit, and that's gone along with the fall of DJ Moore at that 4-5 turn. Previously, it was around the 3-4 turn. How often are you like looking to stack at the, you're just going to like double tap. Like how often are you trying to just double tap at those turn spots? Is that something that people at what, let's say you have the one one or the one twelve. like you should be looking for, okay, maybe this isn't exactly an ADP value. Maybe it's a couple spots off, but it's worth the double tap of making sure I have that stack. Yeah, for me, and maybe this is a flaw, but I am extremely off of DJ Moore. I think where his ADP up is, is purely because of that double stack that people are doing with the Justin Fields. And so I think that you're actually a, so Fields is actually another one that I didn't reference that I'd probably be okay with drafting on stack. I usually try to grab Darnell Mooney because I think he's a good value in that spot, but I'm okay with drafting Justin Fields. And I think that not drafting DJ Moore is actually more beneficial to my team because of the other players that are around there. And this is even assuming that, okay, for Anthony Richardson, 
competent passer, but he can still get it done on the ground. We've already seen that and such. So I'm okay with saying, you know what? I don't need to give a major boost to DJ Moore just because I'm drafting Justin Fields here because you're already spending such high capital for Justin Fields. So I'm happy just taking Justin Fields. If I look at my exposure, I would guess I'm probably like something six to 8% on Justin Fields and probably zero to 2% on DJ Moore. Yeah, DJ Moore was a very early avoid for me as well. He was going at like wide receiver 21, 22. Now he's dropped to wide receiver 27. I That started to be a little bit more interesting to me just because of that stack and because of the price fall. But I agree with you. There are ways in which the bottom can fall out for um, the pass catching upside for DJ Moore to be able to spike for you. Jack, just so beyond, to be honest, uh, I'm at 12% fields and 4% more. And I would have strong conviction that 4% more is probably always with fields. And I was getting some ADP value on it. But most likely, I'm not reaching for that 48-49 double stack or double tap. Fair enough. Let's move it to teammate stack rates. And we'll be segued in by Joe Mannix's question. Elijah Moore will be huge this year. Sure. We'll start with Cleveland then. Obviously Deshaun Watson, but it did not start, start his Cleveland tenure off very well. It was pretty bad from, I was thinking it was like quarterback 18 fancy points per game over the last few weeks, but he's got Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore now traded for David and Joku team went out and signed deep threat. Marquise Goodwin, who had a couple spike weeks last year. They also drafted third round pedigree Cedric Tillman who was getting some steam in the pre-draft process I think Daniel Jeremiah had him as a back-end first round guy but Cooper Moore and Njoku are all getting stacked 29% or more of the time is the Deshaun Watson just being late allowing people to say you know what I'm there, it seems almost split. Like a third of the time, people are stacking with Watson or more or in Joku. Like it just depends on the draft. What is your take on how to be stacking with Deshaun Watson? Is there a particular pass catcher of those three, Cooper, Moore, and Joku? Yeah, the Cleveland situation confuses me a little because Amari Cooper, David Njoku, and Elijah Moore are all going higher than I think they should be from a projection standpoint. Cooper's pretty close, so I'll give him a little because that's just a one or two thing. But definitely Njoku and Elijah Moore are going substantially higher than I think they should. But Deshaun Watson has really stayed at that 80s range. I would have expected if people are bullish on those guys, then we'd expect Deshaun Watson to also move up, but he hasn't. So it surprises me a little. But when I'm drafting Deshaun Watson, I'm usually already have drafted Amari Cooper because I think Amari Cooper has a stuff. If he's a if he's overpriced, he is by like a pick or two. I don't care. That's whatever. Right. Um, so I've already drafted Cooper. I'll then have Deshaun Watson. I'm not drafting Deshaun Watson usually unless I already have Cooper because I don't want to chase and overdraft the Njoku with the Elijah right. Moore. And then later on, I think the Cedric Tillman is interesting. I think the reason why he had that late first round profile is because there are just very few kind of the more traditional X receivers in that draft. So the thought was, if these are what teams are going to attach themselves to, then Cedric Tillman is someone that they might be interested in. Didn't happen that way. I think he's going to be a replacement for, and wow, who's... Uh, DPJ. Yeah. I was thinking Doriel Green back in my mind. I'm like, that's not it. That's not it. Yeah. So I think Tillman will probably be a replacement for DPJ next year. I actually, I know some people that are sharp people are off of DPJ. Literally just got him at pick 200 on one of our stream drafts yesterday or yesterday, earlier. I don't know. Recently. And I don't get it. I think he's a fit for best ball. I feel like he's a substantial value compared to the others. 
I expect him to be playing in two wide receiver sets um, with Elijah Moore coming, coming more in the slot. But even if he's not completely, he still plays a more unique position than both Cooper and Elijah Moore, and it fits into the best ball style. And he's going to pick 160. So that's who I'd say, like, Amari Cooper, DPJ are my core stack partners for Deshaun. And yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on Deshaun Watson at where he's going in drafts. It's too much of a value for the upside that we've already seen. And also pretty easy to take Deshaun Watson and you've taken maybe Garrett Wilson and Amari Cooper for that week 17. You've got your wide receivers and a later quarterback bring back maybe some Aaron Rodgers too. a quick thoughts on that matchup. The, the jets versus the Browns week 17. Yeah, I know the weather and aspects and though it's going to be a slow paced game with Rodgers being back there. I don't know, Cleveland might play faster, so I'm not scared of that one. I would say if I am playing that matchup, the most common one is I get Brees Hall and Amari Cooper at that 3-4. And then that allows me to go with Deshaun Watson. I'd much rather have Deshaun than Rodgers. I'm not getting that much Garrett Wilson this year, mainly because I've got other wide receiver. I actually have Jalen Waddle ahead of him, even though I don't want to draft him that much above. But I'm definitely drafting like the Devontae and such before Garrett Wilson. So I don't have that much of him. But yeah, if you're grabbing Garrett Wilson, then yeah, go for that game. It definitely has shootout potential from an efficiency standpoint. Let's talk about a, a pretty controversial teammate combination, shall we say, because Ridley has, Calvin Ridley has missed a year and a half. He's been off. He's been the hot button topic. Christian Kirk obviously had the rapport last year with Trevor Lawrence. But look what a player like Christian Kirk, who really hadn't had sustained production. Yes, he had a couple spike weeks. He had some a nice profile coming out of college. But Ridley has had elite production in the past. Ridley, though, is getting stacked 40% of the time. Kirk is only getting stacked 20% of the time. I've seen Trevor Lawrence, though, fall 10, 12, 14 spots. He's one of those quarterbacks that like I've sometimes seen free fall. In a, in a few of the drafts that I've been in, but also Evan Ingram's getting stacked 34% of the time. How are you reading this Jacksonville split? Are you viewing it as pretty, pretty level, pretty even, or is Ridley the clear going to be the clear target earner and deserves to be stacked that often with Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, I think Kirk is probably the best value pick of that offense. The ETR, the projection standpoint, is extremely high in him, trying to be as conservative as possible on those inputs and still just extremely overweight on him. The fact that he's dropped to, what, ADP of 49 or something is pretty crazy. So I've got a ton of Kirk, probably one of my most owned wide receivers. I'm not against Ridley either. I'm just not really targeting him. Trevor Lawrence, if it fits, I'll draft it, but not someone I'm targeting either. I think he's just in the spot where I really like the wide receivers that are going in that range, and he doesn't provide me the level of upside that I'm really looking for from a ground game. Differentiate himself from Justin Herbert. I just think the efficiency, the overall offense that we're expecting out of the Chargers is substantially higher than from Jacksonville. Evan Ingram is extremely, what, Expensive because of one three-touchdown spike week. That's an area where I'm not drafting tight end. So yeah, I would say Kirk ahead of the game. I do ETN as well in that 41 spot. If I need, if I maybe started three wide receivers, then yeah, drafting got I mean drafting Lawrence when it falls. Yeah, one of my favorite late round wide receivers is Zay Jones, just because we've seen his production in the past. He's been earning targets, and even if Ridley bumps up a little bit and some others down the food chain, 
Marvin Jones had a couple weeks where if there was a more efficient wide receiver in that spot, Zay Jones could do a little bit more with with that role. So I, I like some late round Zay Jones, especially stacking with, with Trevor Lawrence. You mentioned the Chargers. Justin Herbert just signed a massive extension, five years, I think over $250 million. We'll talk about the pass catchers here in the last segment here. Actually, I want to get to Baltimore and then we'll call it a day. But Allen Williams, Quinton Johnston. Johnson's Johnson's getting stacked 33% of the time. Allen Williams, 26% or fewer. Is there just trepidation or is it because maybe the Herbert drafter is stacking with Austin Eckler instead? No, I think it's just because, so you look at those other players and if you're, I'm trying to look at an example, Debo. Ayuk is multiple rounds, I think about two rounds behind behind where Debo is. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are actually fairly close together. And so when someone's stacking, you've got to make a decision. It's either going to be Keenan, it's either going to be Mike Williams. So it's just more spread out that when you look at the actual combinatorial, they're like 23, 26, 33. It's not that shocking to me. It's just you're very, very unlikely going to be able to get Keenan and Mike Williams together without having to substantially reach on one of them. It's possible. Done it a couple of times. But I think that's just why their numbers are a little lower. It's just kind of splitting, splitting the baby. For this offense, it's a little interesting. Last year, I, I don't know, infamously or whatever, had 0% Justin Herbert. was completely against him. And it was because of where he was going was right next to Lamar and Jalen Hurts. And I just loved the upside from a rushing standpoint of those compared to Justin Herbert. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to be drafting him. It worked out well. Maybe I got lucky because of injuries. But honestly, like I still think from a process, Hurts had that amazing year. Lamar started off Lamar started off amazing. Okay. But now those guys have moved into that second, early third round. But Herbert is still there. Herbert also has a new weapon in Quentin Johnston. Herbert also has Kellen Moore. That's probably the most valuable weapon leading that offense that's coming in. So I am all guns blazing, drafting a ton of the Chargers every which way, all the way down to Gerald Everett. Uh, I probably, Josh Palmer's the only one that I'm not actually drafting, but uh, very overweight on the Chargers. I'd love to hear it. We've got a question in the in the chat. What's the number on Eckler stacks? That's 21%. I just looked it up. Shout out to Chad Mashkey, who's been accumulating the BBM4 uh, draft. So thanks to him. Uh, the last little bit, it's Baltimore. All three of these wide receivers are, are being drafted pretty close to each other. There seems to be Flowers, Bateman, OBJ, Bateman on the PUP. Some people have joked that he doesn't, Bateman doesn't have the dog in him. He has the PUP mm-hmm. in him. But <laughs> how are you dealing with this ambiguous wide receiver core in Baltimore? It's clearly Mark Andrews is the number one, but are we going with the rookie Flowers? Are we going with the former first round pick, Bateman, Bateman? Or are we going with a historically productive Odell Beckham who was signed to a massive $18 million deal? but is coming off of a big injury and hasn't played in a while. How are you dealing with these uncertainties in the Baltimore wide receiver room? Yeah, for the most part, I'm targeting them when I grab Lamar. And so the way that I'm drafting that is you take Lamar usually at the end of the third, early fourth. And in that spot, you can usually get both Flowers and Bateman based how the the draft comes out. So I'm able to grab them both, and I'm very happy with grabbing them both. And I'm never, ever touching OBJ. It doesn't matter uh, if he ends up like dusting me. Hats off. No chance. But yeah, clip that in a year when OGJ goes off on week 17 as under owned. <laughs> but I think from a Flowers Bateman, that's one where I've been trying to wrap my head around 
how do I weigh those two? Bateman's numbers when he's been on the field are really strong. He has a lot better chance at being the true clear alpha in this offense next to Mark Andrews than Flowers. Now, reports came out that Flowers is looking fantastic out there. Turns out Bateman wasn't out there. OBAJ wasn't out there. Okay, yes, the one wide receiver who was out there is looking great. Sure, whatever. I'm not going to buy that, but I do believe it's going to impact his ADP. My goal is to get both of them. I do Bateman a little more than Flowers just from an upside play. Yeah, Flowers actually probably has a higher floor than Bateman, especially when we're talking about come playoff time. But I want the upside of Bateman actually being a true alpha in that offense. And it wasn't too long ago that we were really, really pumped about him coming out of school. We just haven't seen him be able to put it together with a healthy season. Yeah, unfortunately, injuries have derailed his first couple years in the league. We have liked his yards per route run and other metrics. Unfortunately, he was only getting like a 60% snap share last year. But now with a new offensive coordinator, hopefully healthy, uh, Bateman certainly has the upside that that we like. Here at Player Profiler, his Player Profiler comp is Stephon Diggs, and we know that Diggs took a little bit to uh, ascend into the elite tier. Justin, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you about stacks and stack hunting. It's been an hour. Make sure you guys are following Justin on Twitter, at Justin Herzig. He puts out great content, especially on Establish the Run. Justin, what what other plugs do you want to give as we wind down tonight? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And actually, we created a private best ball contest as well. We got some prizes for it as well that we're doing for this. And then I've got a couple other podcasts that I'm jumping on over the next couple of weeks. I'll put that in chat as well, a link to it. Maybe we can have to show notes or something like that. But yeah, it's just a, a fun way to play best ball. It's called Best Ball Blitz. There is, instead of doing a full draft, taking around 45 minutes or so, it is just a pack. You open that pack and you choose your lineup from that. And then all this is just completely free to play and uh, get a, kind of a fun way to get people to see some of the games we're building. So I'll put that in chat, but this is fantastic. Bradley, I appreciate you inviting me onto this. This was really fun. Always enjoy chatting with you. And uh, fortunately, I will not be able to make it to Canton this year. Draft some best balls for me in those stands. Oh, I will for sure. Pour some out, pour some best balls out. I will also get that link up here and make sure you guys are checking it out i will also be seeing if i can copy this over and and share it out on the in the in the youtube notes and everything all right everyone it's been our stack hunting time and until next time good luck in the best ball streets everyone hey i want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in it's important to me that all of our media be free this is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.